Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. It's hard to believe we're in our last section or the last chapter of this particular book. Um, and it just uh, it seems kind of sad. So next week will be uh, the very last lesson of this particular book. And uh, it's, it's really been helpful to me in my own personal life, and I hope that it's been a blessing to you. But throughout this book, one of the things that we've noticed in Paul's letter is he writes a lot about the Holy Spirit. And, and when you go back to chapter 3, in fact, we'll just look at a couple of these. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, he says, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing... With faith, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? We go over to chapter 5, in verse 5. And he says, For by the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. And so Paul has placed his great emphasis upon the Holy Spirit, and he's also placed a great emphasis upon the community of believers. And we realize that the community of believers is connected with the Spirit of God. When you look back at chapter 4, let's just look there, uh, verses 4 through 7, he says, But when the completion of time came, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Okay, here's this family connection. And he says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then heir of God. He's telling us that the life of the spirit is not something that we live out alone. We don't live it out in a single fashion. It is something to, that is to be lived out in community. Life in the Spirit is, is like having this extended family where we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not rivals. We're not people who are trying to see who's right and who's wrong as far as, you know, who's, who's more spiritual than another person. It's about this family relationship that we have. And last week, we looked at another aspect of the Spirit, and we talked about, uh, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about this, this battle between flesh and the Spirit, as Joe had pointed out, and then he ends with this idea of the Spirit. When we come into chapter 6, he does not even break the thought of what was going on prior to it. And he's showing us what it looks like for people, a community of people, who are living their life out in the Spirit. And he says, this is what it looks like. And there's three things that we're going to see here. The first thing I want to notice is mutual responsibility. Mutual responsibility. I'm going to begin reading in verses 1 and 2. He says, Brothers, if someone is caught up in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you won't be tempted also. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. A lot of powerful stuff that we find in this text. You know, when we think about mutual support within the community of believers, we're thinking in terms of physical and emotional. 
And those certainly are a part of things. You know, if we're a part as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that, that we are to look after people who uh, are having these struggles in their lives. Uh, the law of Moses gets a really bad rap, folks, <laughs> because it was about protecting people. Laws were set up for people who could not have any representation for themselves. It, there were laws set up for the poor and for the deaf and the blind and the widows and the orphans. And even foreigners, get this, foreigners who come into their country. He said even they are to be protected. Even they are to be loved and watched after. And this mutual responsibility just continues on with Jesus. We see this. And it continues on with the writers in the New Testament. We see the book, the book of James. Peter in his book. We see John writes about this mutual relationship. And certainly Paul talks about this kind of relationship as well. But there's another type of mutual relationship that he deals with here in this text. And that is when there's someone who has been caught up in a wrongdoing, a trespass, he says that we are to go to them and confront them on that sinfulness. Now, we understand caring for those in physical and emotional needs. In fact, we'd say, you know what? If we, as a, as a body of believers, we're not caring for people who have these physical needs, people who have emotional needs and things of that sort, you know, um, we would say you know, we're angry about that. But very, very few would get angry that you're not dealing with those spiritual things. When there's someone who has been caught in a wrongdoing, and we're not going to them and talking to them about this as well. Now, there's two sides of that coin. And one side we're not real comfortable with, but we're a whole lot comfortable with one side than we are the other side. One side of the coin is that we go to those people and we talk to them about their sinfulness. And the other side of the coin is we're the ones being talked to. It's a lot easier for me to go to you and tell you what you're doing wrong than it is for you to come to me and tell me what I'm doing wrong. But he says some things here that are very critical. This isn't about judging people on their intentions. This is not about judging people on likes and dislikes. He says this is about wrongdoing. And it's about holding people accountable. And in our culture today... That is offensive to think that someone is going to come and talk to us about what they think I'm doing wrong in my life. We don't like it. But we're talking about something very important here. And we talked about in class, well, what kind of things will people be caught up in? He just told us, gave us kind of a list of those types of things of the flesh. There were those sexual sins. There were people who were divisive. There were people who were involved in drunkenness and things of that sort. And it's that type of things here. And he says, listen, if somebody is caught up in the flesh, he says, we need to go to them. And he says, the people ought to do this are the people who are spiritual. One of the reasons we mention here the fruit of the Spirit is because the only way we're going to be able to go to someone in the correct way is if we go in one of the aspects of the Spirit. He says it's to be done in gentleness. And we talk about 
those who are spiritual. He's not talking about spiritual leaders. Now, spiritual leaders need to be a part of that. They need to be leading the way. But when he uses that word spiritual, he's talking about those who have been filled with the Spirit of God. He's talking about those whose lives have been marked by those qualities that you see that he just mentioned in chapter 5 in that fruit of the Spirit. And now we see why the fruit is so important, because he says we're to go to them in gentleness. Over the years in ministry, I've had people come to me. I've I've talked to people who have left places, and, and they will tell me these horror stories. And they will tell me about how, you know, how they were treated at a place. And they will readily admit, and they will say, you know what, what I was doing at the time was wrong. But how I was treated and how harshly I was spoken to and, and the names that I was called and things of that sort. And they just leave. And some give up on Christianity altogether. Now look, I know there are people who are always looking for excuses. We talk about that here, right? We know that. But there are legitimate cases, folks, where people have been treated harshly. Now someone may be thinking, well, look, let's, Let's not turn the good Christian into the bad person here. You know, this is the person who's in the wrongdoing. Paul would say they're both wrong. Paul would say neither one of them are right. He said because we've got to approach people with a sense of gentleness in what we do. In fact, Paul tells the correcting believer, they better watch out unless they're tempted. What does that mean? Well, maybe they're tempted the same kind of sin. But I think some of this, and I think what he's talking about here is a spiritual pride. That, you know, when you ever dealt with somebody that they're, I mean, listen, they're living a life in the flesh. And I can feel pretty superior about that. In fact, I can feel pretty good about myself and where I am spiritually in my life. And he says, you better guard yourself. Because the pride is of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. But let's take this a little further. He says we are to restore. Notice that word there. To restore them in gentleness. And the word restore is so it's such a cool word. It's, it's a mending. That's the way it's used in Scripture. It's used of mending nets. It means to make something that is fully complete, something that is qualified. And some of you may be thinking, well, that's why we have ministers and elders. They're the reason, they're the ones who to go. And again, he says, no, it's those who are spiritual. It's those who have the Spirit of God and they're living in in accordance to the qualities of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He says, those are the people. Then he says something really difficult. He says we're to carry each other's burdens. And he's using it in the context of verse 1 as we go into people who are in wrongdoing. A burden is something that is exhausting. It is something that is difficult. It is not a pleasant thing to do. That's what God's calling us to do. Paul is telling the Galatians to take on that responsibility of correcting each other. And you do that by carrying their burdens. So that means going up to someone and telling them you're living in sin. And telling them what they're doing wrong and walking off. 
that's not carrying a person's load. Let's just say it's somebody who has some kind of addiction in their life, okay, whatever it may be. And we would say someone who is spiritual, first thing they would do is they'd pray about it. I mean, they're going to pray about that person. They're going to pray for their heart. They're going to pray for their, their own wisdom here and, and knowing what to say and these kinds of things. And, and then they're going to go to them in private. They're not going to do it in the middle of the auditorium and say, you know what, you're wrong, and do it in front of everybody. No, that's not of a gentle spirit. But they're going to do that. And then... And then they're going to start carrying that burden. Now, if somebody's caught up in some kind of addiction, it's easy to say, listen, you need to go to the AA program that is, meets here at our auditorium, in our building a few times a week. Or, or it may say, look, it, you need to go to Celebrate Recovery. It's a, it's a spiritually based program for, for all kinds of habits and hang-ups and all this kind of stuff and so that's what you need to do no 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 that's not carrying burdens you're asking someone else to carry those burdens when you carry someone's burdens you say i will go with you you say here is my cell phone number and you can call or you can text me anytime day or night you feeling the burden yet You meet regularly with this person. You talk to them how things are going. You, you give them some spiritual counseling here. You, you share with them from God's Word. In fact, what you may even do is just sit down and say, you know what, let's just, let's just read a gospel of Jesus and let's just talk about Jesus. And, and just to help out with those. See, there is it's carrying burdens. Uh, let's take it to another degree. Let's just say it's a Christian and, and they have decided they're going to move in with someone and they're going to live with them. They're not going to be married, but they're going to live as if they are married. And, and we say, well, you know, that's wrong. You know, that goes to the, the, the sexual sins and things of that sort that we talked about in the, the, um, of the flesh. And it's easy to go up to them and say, you know what, this is wrong. But are you willing to carry their burden? You know, a lot of people, they move in with each other. If you looked at the stats, it's because of financial purposes. And some of those are for fleshly purposes, let's face it. They want to live in a nicer place and have a better, better house or maybe live in a better area. And, you know, you can all get that to some extent. But then there are some people who say, you know what, if I don't, I don't know how I'm going to survive. So if you're going to carry that person's burden in this and you're going to say this is something you need to do or something you need to get out of, then are you willing to look at them financially and say, let me help you? Oh, wait a minute. Now you're talking about the pocketbook. Yeah. You know what? They may need groceries. They may need some bills that are paid because they just aren't they're just in a bad position. And you may say, well, they got themselves in a bad position. I understand that, but we're carrying burdens. Or, you really want to carry a burden? Tell that person, come move in with me until you can get on your feet and find a, find a place. You ever had anybody live with you before that wasn't your own kinfolk? I have. And I'll tell you something. I don't care what a, how great a person they are. After a while, it wears you out. You know? It wears you down. It's a burden. It's not always pleasant. It's difficult. 
But how important is it for you to say, I want to help to restore you in this spirit of gentleness for this wrongdoing or trespass that you may have in your life? How important is that to you? When we carry each other's burdens, he says here, we fulfill the law of Christ. How about that? How did Christ fulfill the law? We talked about this in class. By going to the cross. Jesus gave all, he all about self-sacrificing of himself for sinners. What is he asking us to do in this text? I want you to give up yourself for sinners. And when we do that, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. We are fulfilling the law of loving your neighbor as yourself. Over and over again. People want to know, what's discipleship all about? We, we keep bringing up around here. This is what it's about. It's not all about, but this is a part of what it's about. It's about this mutual responsibility that we have for each other. Now, let's go to the next thing, and that is personal responsibility. Personal responsibility, beginning in verse 3. He says, For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing... He is deceiving himself. But each person should examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in himself alone and not in respect to someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Hmm. So we've talked about this freedom that we have to become slaves of Christ to others. We've talked about this mutual responsibility that we have for each other. And now he says, listen, You've got personal responsibility. We can feel superior when we're helping people overcome sin. I really think this is what he's dealing with here in this text. Some of the Galatians, they had felt this way because they were legalistically following laws. And they believed that this was the way to salvation. That this is what was going to save them based on what they are doing. So Paul says, you better examine your own work. And what's up with that? I thought we've all along we've had this, this thing where faith and works, that these things are separate from one another, and, and that these are some kind of contradiction uh, that we find here. But what we find is that this authentic faith is something that manifests itself. That's what he says back in chapter 5 and in verse 6, where he says, For by the Spirit we eagerly wait, no, yeah, for by the Spirit we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness from faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working in love. But we need to understand where this power comes from. That's the problem. Back in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, It's not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. And it's based on his living in me that I do these things. And then we saw last week with the fruit of the Spirit. And we see that this is who we are. How? By the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, the works that we do, is it of our own self? And do we see it of our own works and of our own power? Or do we say that these things are coming because I am exemplifying the life of Jesus Christ? Because the Spirit of God continues to lead me and guide me and empower me to do things that I didn't think I could do. 
Something else, Paul also says that we are to carry our own load. Whoa, wait a second. I thought he just said we're to carry each other's loads. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And he says, on that day, he says, others cannot carry your load. On that day, there's going to be the judgment of God. And he says, we stand there, and there's our works. And the works that we look at and we say, okay, here are the works I did of myself. He says, those things don't matter. No matter how good or how spiritual we think that they are. It's those things that we did out of the power of the Spirit of God. It's those things that we did when we took those opportunities that God has placed before us. And we work in His work and not just working because we're trying to earn something. There's a big difference here, and he talks about these things. In fact, in verses 7 and 8, it says God's not going to be mocked in this. He's not going to be mocked. This is not some God that you, you know, came up with uh, in your own mind, in your own image of what you think God should be. He's saying this is the true God of the universe, and he will not be mocked. We may project an image of spirituality, but there is no fooling God. Only work that flows out of the fruit of the Spirit is going to have value on that day. Because those are things not accomplished of ourselves, they are accomplished through us. Everything we do should be focused on the second coming of Christ. Why is that? Because it keeps our focus off of this present evil age. It's living in a a time of the Spirit rather than in the time of the flesh. That day is going to be a judgment day for some. It is going to be vindication for others. But our achievements will not save us. The power of God working in us. Those are the things that God is looking for. Some may think, well, it's a matter of semantics. No. It's about our object. It's about our motivation. Is it looking at our achievements or is it looking at the work of God? Because these two things are totally different. Philippians says, work after your own salvation with fear and trembling. Boy, we've heard that many times. But he goes on, he says, for it is God who is working in you. He's the one enabling you to desire and to work out his good purpose. Where does our desire and our work come from? It comes from God. He's in the one enabling us. Spirit of God also directs our lives in harmony with God's will so that we may fulfill the law of Christ. So why do we get involved in the works? Do we do it because, well, I'm scared of going to hell. And so I do these things because I don't want to go to hell. Do we do these things because I believe it's helping to earn my way to salvation? Or am I doing these things because it is the Spirit of God that is flowing out of my life? Those are two totally different things. That's not semantics. That's motivation. That's empowerment. Look at Galatians 6 and 7. Let's just 
Let's just look at this real quick. And he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Now listen to this. Because the one who sows to the flesh, and he's not talking about doing, uh, living these life of this flesh of idolatry and sorcery and hatred and strife. and all. No, no, no. He's talking about you know, I'm, what I'm sowing are things that are fleshly. That are things of myself. He said they will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit, they will reap eternal life from the Spirit. We either sow to the flesh or we sow to the Spirit. There's not a middle ground when you look at it in this text. The Galatians had had to make some choices. Am I going to commit to a gospel of circumcision, a gospel of flesh, a gospel of legalistic rule following, or am I going to be trusting in Christ's work on the cross? That's what this all comes down to. And all can be doing good work, but it's out of the motivation and why we do these things. And to who gets credit? And if it's of God and God gets the credit, then I can't put the credit on myself and say I'm earning something. All right, one last thing. Never give up. Never give up. Listen to verses 9 and 10. He says, So we must not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially those who are of the household of faith. He says, Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Even in times of opposition, he says, Just know that Jesus is coming. Until then, we continue to do good works, and we continue to do good while there is time. He says opportunity. He's not talking about just opportunities that come in front of us. He says while we have an opportunity to do good. But we don't do it for our own salvation. We do it for the good of others. Now, there's a difference. We have our Christmas Eve luncheon coming up. And by the way, if you don't know what day that is, it's Christmas Eve, all right? So we've got this thing coming up. We're going to have people who are poor. We've got people who are lonely. We've got elderly folks that are looking for a, a nice holiday meal that maybe they can't uh, do for themselves. And one of the great things about this church is we always, we've never had a shortage of volunteers. We always have people who come and join in on this. And man, it's so fantastic. And many of you participate. But let your work be in the light of the coming of Christ. And what I mean by that is, will you volunteer because we need help serving, or do you volunteer because the people that we are serving need help? You see, there's two totally different things happening here. Okay, we need somebody to fill in. I'll come fill in. Is Is it to come fill in a part, or is it because of what's happening? Now, that changes everything in how we see these things. As a church, do we tell people out in our community about our Christmas Eve luncheon? Because, you know what? Uh, We've got a great church. Look how wonderful we are. Do we do it because, hey, look, we're doing more than these other churches in the area, and, you know, we're looking pretty good. Is it about feeding the hungry and being friendly to the poor and to the lonely? Or is it about doing our time 
and then just sending people away. Paul also said we are especially to take care of the household of faith. And I think Paul realized something that we all realize. We'll have our Christmas Eve luncheon. We do other things that we help people out in our community. We're trying to get more involved in our community with uh, Buggy Bunch and, and other great things that we see out here. But here's, here's the thing. We can't do everything. And there's no way that all of us, even if we were, you know, just doing everything that we could and, and working as hard as we could, there's no way we can meet all the needs. But even at that, even at that, we've got to understand that we cannot neglect the household of the faith. Once again, he's back to a family image. And we are to do good, and we are to continue to do these things, but may we never forget about the people in our own church who are hurting, and they are in pain, and they are suffering, and they are, have things in their lives that is creating fear and chaos in their lives and looking for ways to serve them. Do good while there's time. Do good while we have an opportunity. Bear one another's burdens. And maybe there's some kind of sin in your own life. Maybe it goes back to the motivation that we, we've been talking about here today. And, and that's something I don't know. I, I can't, I'm not going to judge you on your intent. That, that, that is, that, I can't read people's minds and their hearts. But you know what? There may be something that you know there that you need to go to God personally. You need to take personal responsibility for that. Listen, you need to really step out and, and take that next step in your life to live as God wants you to live and to be who God wants you to be. And there may be some who are here, and you know what? You're realizing you're caught up in some kind of sin in your life, and you can't, you're not able to accomplish this of yourself. And we know that it's the power of God that works in us, but also God gives us a community in which to work and to help us through these things. And you know what? You need some help. You may need some help. Listen, ask for that help. Ask people to come along and help bear this burden so that you can restore yourself into the ways of the Spirit. And there may be some who are here and you're just searching for God in your life. You know what? And you come here today and you're not even real sure what to expect. You're not even real sure what I'm talking about. But what you do know is this. You need something bigger in your life. And what I say to you is allow us, as a community of Christ, to help you. Let us tell you our stories of being rescued. Not of how great we are, but of the one who is so great when we were in our sins. And then there may be some, and you're just ready to make the next step. You know, maybe your faith you're taking a, a deeper step of faith. Maybe you're ready to be baptized, ready to be clothed in Christ. Maybe for you it's, you know what, I really need to be involved in the things of the Spirit of God in my life, and I'm ready to take that next step. Whatever it may be, that's what we're talking about here. So he's saying, listen, live Vero Beach Church of Christ. Live as a community of faith. Be a community of believers who love and care and they're gentle with one another. And we, we don't create dissensions and rifts between one another, but we continue to work with one another as Christ comes and works through us.
And if we can help you in any way, and it doesn't mean you have to come forward, but if you want to come forward, we would be glad to meet you and greet you. We'll be glad to, to sit down and pray with you or whatever things that you may need in your life. And it may be some things that afterwards you want to catch us. And when I say us, I mean not just me. We, we are a community, and we work as a community of people, a community of faith. In fact, you may be here with someone that you say, you know, their faith is tremendous. That's why I'm here in the first place. Listen, that's, that's what it's about. It's definitely not about me. If we can help you in any way, come. And together we stand and as we sing.